I would argue this isn't even research because ASME has never contacted, for example, me. They did a, a, a whole report, 63 pages, um, about so-called foreign influences in China. And not once did they contact me. I'd be more than happy to chat with them and answer their questions, you know. And I think if they talked with the targets or with their subjects, it's going to create a more uh, balanced and useful uh, piece of research. But that's obviously not what they're trying to do. So it's this disparaging narrative. But if you say good things about Italy or Germany or Italian or France or Brazil, does somebody immediately turn around and say, hey, you're being paid to say those things about that country? I just want to say real quickly why that report was created, why that report was done. Because somebody paid them to do it. They're accusing that what's being done by China is exactly what they're doing precisely. It becomes um, almost comical as, as to the outcome. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Hello and welcome to The Chat Lounge. I'm Tu Yun. Foreign internet influencers living in China are hitting back as they face a fresh round of accusations by a Western think tank and Western media. The self-claimed independent, non-partisan Australian Strategic Policy Institute, also known as ASPE, is accusing over 120 foreign influencers and content creators of being cultivated by the Chinese government to shape narratives in favor of China. How true is the accusation and what's behind such narratives? Joining our discussion today are Andy Barham, a New Zealand-born journalist based in China, also one of the online influencers named by the ASPE report. Mario Cavolo, founder and CEO of Amp Communications Group, our communication expert here, and Edward Lehman, founder and managing director of China-based law firm Lehman, Lee, and Shi, our legal expert. So long time no chat, actually. Great to have you back on the show, gentlemen. Let me first start with um, Andy. What was your first reaction when you learned about the ASPE report? Upset, frustrated, or outrageous? Wow, my first reaction was actually, I was quite peeved because I heard about it first from a reporter from the Financial Times, actually. I just got an email saying, um, there's a report coming out that features you. Um, do you want to comment? And mm. it was like, I, I, who wrote it? What is the report? I haven't read it. How can I comment? Um, and he was pushing me for for more comment. It's like, I said to him, do you think this is fair to ask me to comment on a report I've never read? Can you send it to me? Mm. He was like, oh, sorry, we can't send it to you. It's... it's um, hasn't been released yet. I was like, well, how come you have it? Oh, they're releasing it to certain media. I said, oh, that's great. I'm a journalist as well. Can you release it to me? And there was no luck. So the the, the first time I heard oh. about it was literally from a reporter and he refused to tell me any more information. So it was just, yeah, I was peed off. Mm. And have you read the whole report? I did. I read it after he posted his story, which was right. uh, the next day. Um, actually, I asked him to contact, well, he still hadn't told me who wrote it, but I said, can you contact the, the writers mm. and see if they're willing to give it to me? Um, and he took about another day to reply um, at six in the morning, China time, and right. said, um, they're, they're not willing to give the report. So should I take it? You're not going to comment. Mm. Uh, and before I could even reply, he had posted the story. So it's just shady behavior all around. I've read the report now, as usual, um, as there are other reports, it's just laughable, uh, a joke, really, to right. anyone who actually knows China. Then, um after reading the report, which part um, impressed you or shocked you most, or you consider as the most, um, which were uh, absurd, probably? 
<laughs> well, firstly, the whole thing's absurd. But the thing that um, probably was the most interesting for me is that um, on the day they released the report, they actually, but by that evening, they deleted large parts of it, mm. uh, including mention that they were funded by the US State Department, which they conveniently deleted. Right. They also deleted a large part of my section. So um, in my part, they had initially said that I've, in New Zealand, I spent a lot of time working in media. Mm. I went to Cambodia and worked for a radio station there. Um, and then they said uh, something along the lines of, at one point, Andy must have chosen to become a propagandist instead of being a real journalist. Mm. I was like, wow, that's shocking. Then they deleted it. And as we all know, anyone who has, you know, any, um, what's the word, uh, a, a report or a think tank agency that is respectable, they would mention things they've repeated and, and put a reason why. There's no mention whatsoever. And I asked them about it. Uh, they didn't reply to me. So um, it's just half of the course shocking from Aspie. Mm. Do you think you, you've been unfairly or wrongly portrayed in the report? To be honest, my part, I don't think it's very unfair. Um, I'm more worried about other people because in the report, I think I'm the only one who actually works for Chinese state media. So mm. their whole um, argument basically is that people are being paid by the government or, or, or whatever. The fact of the matter is I do work for Chinese state media. So in my opinion, my part is actually um, fairly accurate, although right. what they're trying to imply isn't really fair. Um, but I'm more concerned about the other people, the young students, mm. uh, international students who are visiting China and just doing what young people do, which is creating content, filming their travel where they are, filming their daily lives, uh, studying in China, and being accused of being CCP, I say CCP because that's what they say, mm. CCP operatives. Um, I think it must be devastating for young students coming to China to, to face that, especially with the anti-China sentiment that's around the world at the moment. So I, I more feel for those kind of people uh, as opposed to myself. Mm. Mm. Have, have you talked to any of them, those young students, about this? No, I haven't, but I've talked to others who, who were mentioned in the report, um, actually, who have been quite devastated by it. Um, they're not students at the moment, but I know of people who were featured in the report. I won't mention who they are, but couldn't sleep, um, felt, you know, really targeted because uh, mm -hmm. it's not nice to feel like, um, you know, you might face repercussions back home or uh, limits to your career just because you spent some time in China and shared accurately uh, the, the time you had here. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's, it's devastating. So for me, I'm used to it. I've been working for Chinese media for nearly 10 years now. So I'm used to being attacked. I'm used to being put down. Um, but for those people that are just young students, I, I actually feel quite devastated for them. Mm, so so you're saying your work or your life hasn't been affected that much? Oh, yeah, my life hasn't been affected um, really at all. In fact, it's it's helped me find some new friends and make some new connections, right. to be honest. Um, but I would just worry for those other people. Um, for me, I'm used to it. It's part of the course. It's part of my job. Um, and to be honest, SB does not have anywhere near the reach um, or the power they used to have. This this report hardly got picked up by mainstream media. I know mm. I was mentioned in the Sydney Morning Herald, Financial Times, um, some, in, some random Indian news, um, and that's about it. So I think people are slowly starting to see and Aspie's losing a lot of power. So for me, I haven't really faced much um, change at all. And that's the positive side of the story. And to Mario, uh, it seems you're, you're not specifically named by Aspie, but from my observation, you, you definitely belong to the group targeted by Aspie. So as a communication expert, what's your interpretation of the Aspie report? Sure. And, and Andy made the key point, which is that in his case, he really clearly and specifically 
does work with a national Chinese media mm -hmm. outfit. So in America, this would be no different than saying that, you know, Andy works for uh, a Wall Street Journal or, or New York Times or Fox News. Well, I, Andy, if I'm correct, it's Shanghai, Shanghai Daily, so it's regional. But still, uh, that would be like the New York Times, New York, you know, or the LA Times. So the interesting thing for me, as you mentioned, uh, to Ian, I'm in a different situation. Um, we have different reasons but we're driven by the same underlying motivation, which is that we only are acting to want to explain the real world of China to the world. Mm. And so that would be no different for me as, say, I'm an Italian-American, right? And I grew up in the 60s and, you know, I was born in 60. I was, say, in the mid-70s. I was a teenager, right? And, you know, back then, what became quite famous back in the United States in Hollywood, we all love a good movie, was this the Godfather series of movies. And the Godfather series of movies was all about these very particular narratives of, very specifically, of Italian crime families, the mafiosa, that was a very real thing and, in fact, stretched all the way back to the home country in southern, mostly in southern Italy. Uh, from Naples on down to Sicily. Mm. Okay, well, that's fine, right up to the point where you are or are not listening to these stories portraying all Italians, you know, as mafiosa or just criminals mm. that are criminals. So all the way back to the immigration period of the early 1900s when the Italians immigrated to the United States, I can tell you how much racism and bigotry there was against them and the Irish as well, um, when they arrived in America. So all of this boils down to racism and bigotry, and it's all now being driven through the media, weaponized for political purposes. And I picked up on it all sort of accidentally about four years ago in my case. Now I'm a non-resident senior fellow for the Center for China and Globalization, which puts me a bit more in the spotlight I have other organizations in media. I'm a regular contributor to China Daily, but I'm a contributor, which means every few weeks they ask me to write an article about some aspect of culture or society or, or geopolitics, and then that gets published in China Daily. And for me, this all began about four years ago. So I don't do it because it's a full-time job. I don't work for Chinese media. I do it because I unexpectedly moved to China 24 years ago. I'm now in my 25th year in China. At the end of the year, I'm having a big anniversary, 25th anniversary party. Mm. And the fact of the matter is China is nothing like what the West tells us it is. And that's the problem. And Andy is in there as being someone who really is specifically a career Chinese media person. God bless him and good for him. But this puts him directly in the firing line. Guys like myself are slightly to the side of being directly in the firing line, but we still are. For example, recently, it's not necessarily just media and organizations like ASPE. So you got media institutions like ASPE, you have the United States government itself, you have the UK parliament. All of these, at the very highest levels of society, are feeding these negative and bigoted and false narratives. It even extends to universities. Recently, there's a prestigious professor at a prestigious university who has been attacking people like myself and some others only because of the fact that we take the time to explain things about China. Say, excuse me, see this thing about China that you're saying? 
It's just not true. Let me explain how and why it's not true. And for that, we're subject to the same problems as, as Andy is. They create this narrative of saying, oh, you're a troll. You say good things about China because you're paid by the CPC. CC, they say CCP. So it's this disparaging narrative. But if you say good things about Italy or Germany or Italian or France, France or Brazil, does somebody immediately turn around and say, hey, you're being paid to say those things about that country? No, mm. of course not. But Mario, are you um, going to write an article to counter this uh, report you say for China Daily you just mentioned? Do you have any plans? I'm sure within another couple of weeks, I'll hear from China Daily again, and, and they'll ask me to write another article. The last one was about the Asian, the Asian Games in Hangzhou, which was just a, you know, a couple months back. You know, those are always great opportunities to just, again, tell the world about what's really going on in China. And when Andy gets very upset, um, and so do I and a lot of the other guys, when we read stuff about China and we go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm here 24 years. I've got a Chinese family and I live like a local. I'm not a coddled expat in a foreign compound in a villa with a with a driver, a car and a driver. I live like a local with my Chinese wife and family and, and my Chinese mother-in-law who, who doesn't speak a wink of English. And so I, I know what's going on in this country. And so when I read stuff that's happening, that they say these accusations that I know are false, it really upsets. It's really upsetting. It's really upsetting. Mm. I'm not sure how, how upset Andy would be, but uh, Andy, previously, when you saw Western media reports um, you thought were not in line with the truth, you would make some videos to, to debunk them. But, but this time, when you yourself were, were targeted as a, or tagged as a foreign propagandist by ASPE, it seems you haven't made um, a counter video yet, right? No, I haven't yet, and that's the thing. Um, I'm just too busy, to be honest. Right. And I just don't think. Yeah. I just don't think the ASPE report has had uh, much impact. I do plan mm. to do a video. Right. It's just that this all happened at the end of um, December when we were we were wrapping up so many. Uh, projects on, you know, the 10th year anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative, things that are much more important. Then I went home for Christmas. Um, so I just haven't had the time to do it. I, it's in the back of my mind and I'm working on it. But I've just got to think of a nice angle and a way to really simply put across how unfair SB mm. is in this report and in their reports in general. So I think um, definitely I will be doing it. But to be honest, SB is a falling entity, I think. So it's not urgent for me. Mm, but it's still... Like you said, uh, it's got some uh, fund from the uh, U.S. State Department. It might be there for some time. But talking about um, fighting back against such narratives uh, created by uh, think tanks, they call themselves think tanks like uh, ASPE, there's another influencer that we are, maybe most of us are quite familiar with, is um, American Jerry Colwell. And I, I understand you, you know him uh, personally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So we've can had you, a lot of discussions. Right. Can you tell us a little bit more about him? And I know he's been doing coffee business here in, in China. And I, <laughs> yeah, I've watched a lot of his videos too. Yeah, I think he's having a bit of a break at the moment. Right. Um, so I won't say too much, but I, I know for, for a while that he was really upset by the SB report and other mm. reports like it. Um, he did an interview uh, that came out a couple of days ago uh, talking about it um, and how he uh, really wants to pursue legal action. So right. he's working on a lot of that stuff. I, I can't say much more, but definitely he is working hard to make it at least so that the US State Department can't fund pieces of so-called research like this because the question it's is propaganda yeah yeah propaganda should the u.s state department be making uh, reports like this that are putting american citizens 
in the firing line overseas unfairly. And perhaps Thank Mario you. and Edward would know more about that um, than me. Yes. Yeah. I think it's definitely a great conversation to have. Like you just mentioned, Cowell uh, recently published a uh, letter he had sent to the U.S. Department of State. And he said the U.S. State Department may have used the funding to unfairly attack U.S. citizens in China via ASPE and ask mm. the U.S. State Department to, to seize further funding of ASPE. So let me turn to our legal expert, um, Ed. How may such yeah. a letter be received by the State Department? Will it be totally ignored? It's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that this is going to be the most effective way forward. I mean, I, mm. I got a copy of his letter, read it. I mean, it's addressed to uh, James P. Rubin, who's the special envoy and the coordinator of global the Global Engagement Center. This is the outfit that uh, both Mario and Andy have mentioned had, had helped fund this report. At least initially, it was, it was written, and then all of a sudden, that was uh, removed, which is what you know, Jerry Cole talks about in his particular letter. You know, he's mentioned 39 times in this report and that he's not pandering and he's not been guided into uh, you know, his decision-making process or his reporting process. So, I mean, it's difficult to say. I would, as a lawyer, this, this isn't really the basis or a grounds on which you're going to be able to get some sort of satisfaction. I mean, uh, I, I think it's a good step that you're at least documenting that this is inaccurate and what they've done is incorrect. Whether you can receive direct relief from them is questionable. It wouldn't be the right way to go forward. Mm -hmm. I think it wouldn't be the best way. It is a way to get started. Right. And certainly one has to hang their hat on some sort of uh, legislation or some sort of you know remedy that would allow him relief as an American citizen that's been wronged in this report and that's, that's been funded by the United States government. In this particular case, it's the Global Engagement Center. That's where he has to go and, you know, probably file in the, you know, in the Southern District of New York, which is uh, one of the primary places in the United States that decides quite big decisions, a lot of them having to do with finance and yeah. um, because all the, the bourses are located there, NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. So there's a lot of big cases that are decided there, but also other uh, governmental related cases such as this. So I think he was going to have to probably retain counsel. The issue I think that that he has, as you know, Andy does or Mario does, anyone is that, you know, he's an individual, and right. as an individual, you know, the, a great way to uh, earn a small fortune is start out with a big fortune and get yourself involved in a lawsuit, <laughs> you know, because it, it costs a lot of time, money, and effort to uh, to be able to be engaged in a lawsuit. And I mean, this goes back to a little bit about what Andy was saying when when you were asking him, has he had the time? or uh, the inclination to do something, or Mario, uh, with the ASPE report themselves. I'm often reminded of what we call the Dreisand effect. I mean, way back when, before all the digitalization of everything, you know, the California, whatever, board of um, coastlines were, was taking pictures of all the houses that were along the coast. And, uh, you know, Barbara Streisand objected to having her home film because she didn't want people to know where she lived. Mm -hmm. And so then she went and made a big deal out of this thing. Please don't, you know, um, photograph my home. Well, nobody was looking at it. There's so many homes on the coastline anyway. But the fact that Barbara Streisand had pointed out that she didn't want her home film made it that everyone knew and wanted to see where her home was located. So this goes back to the <laughs> report, you know, <laughs> is this, are we going to create 
you know, is this thing going to get buried like the end of Indiana Jones, you know, in some kind of vault somewhere and then cart it off into nowhere? Or are you going to do a Barbara Streisand thing by bringing attention to the 120 or so folks in, in, in the report that well, I had read, you know, 63 pages or not? I mean, it's kind of a slow burn, that, that report, frankly. It's not, there's no gotchas in there that I see. Um, so you're saying yeah. it would be. Let me say. All right, let continue. me say real quickly. Sure. I just want to say real quickly why that report was created, why that report was done, because somebody paid them to do it. You know, it's just it's that simple. And we even know that there is what is it now? Half a million U.S. half a billion or some crazy number. So half a billion U.S. dollars that's specifically was allocated by Congress as a fund related to writing stuff about China for their media. You get a phone call, you get a call from someone that supports you and funds you. But by the way, let me say it, there's nothing wrong with having clients who pay you for consulting and research, right? Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a perfect, corporate consulting is big business. I wish I had a big institutional client that called me and asked me to write a 53 page report about some huge topic and spend six weeks on that and get paid right. probably like 100, 150 grand on that. I'd, I'd love that. That'd be great. So that is what's going on. Yeah. They didn't write a report of truth. They wrote a report of narratives that they want disseminated to the public, whether those narratives are true or accurate or not, really is not relevant. You're listening to The Chat Vouch. When we come back, check out how the ill-intentioned accusations have been pushed throughout the world. Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Maasai Mara's disrupted wildebeest migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chat Lounge. We continue our discussion on international online influencers fight back against unfair Western accusations. We'll dive deeper into, you know, the motivation behind uh, Asby's report uh, later on in the show. But uh, going back a little bit to Cole's, um you know, legal action. Ed, you quoted the case of Barbara Streisand, but Barbara Streisand is really famous. But what about... Um, Jerry Cole, it, it would be a very tough journey for him to complete, right? He's got this courage to launch this um, legal action against um, the Institute. But how likely can he reach his goal? I mean, I've I read in the reports that, that he is going to be suing in multiple jurisdictions. Um, yes. And, but I, I have not been able, I mean, Certainly in the Southern District of New York, which is what all this is on electronic filing and everything's available. I, I could not find anything where, where a case has been filed. It's difficult unless you know the specific jurisdiction in these other, in, within these other places. I don't know if there are multiple jurisdictions in the United States, multiple jurisdictions around the world. But oh, he said it's I mean, in multiple countries, not in, just in the States. Uh, I'm not right. sure which countries. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at Aspie just in general, I mean, it's it's funded by you know a wide range of people. I mean, including Lockheed Martin, BAE Systems, North Northrop Grumman, Thales Group, Ray Athlon Technology, Microsoft, Oracle, you know, Oracle Australia, sorry, Tesla and Google. 
So, uh, and then there's a number of nations, Japan, the Netherlands, Israel, Canada, and the United States, and the United Kingdom, all in some way, shape, or form fund this operation. I mean, the budget, uh, like Andy was saying, I mean, it's not small. I mean, it's a, it's about $11 million a year. It's a company limited by guarantee. All of this is actually open for public inspection, and you can go and you can see every you know, at aspie.org.au. And so I went on there myself, mm. had a look-see. So as a public, sort of a not-for-profit think tank, whatever they're calling themselves, they have to be able to publish who's giving them money and where it all comes from. And so the question is, I mean, obviously I would assume that there would be some sort of action brought in Australia. I mean, here's the issue with regards to him in particular, is that, is he a public person? So, I mean, uh, or not? And is the cause of action going to be some sort of defamation or not? I mean, mm -hmm. and, you know, or, or, or some derivative thereof. And, you know, the question is, is he a public figure? Mm -hmm. So I can say something about Tom Cruise, you know, whatever. It could be completely wrong. And he's a public figure. I mean, one is not liable for that because Tom Cruise is a public figure. Right. Tom Cruise, however, you know, can say something about, uh, about me and I'm not necessarily a public figure, and uh, that might that would be considered defamation because I'm I'm a private individual. I mean, whatever you want to call that. Mm. But so there's a whole bunch of rules that need to be followed. And then is he categorized as is he, is it going to be defamation as an individual? Is he considered to be a public figure because he's got 20 million? What makes one a public fig, uh, figure? That would have to be determined by the trier of fact. So that would be in, in common law jurisdictions, that would be a judge and jury. They would determine that in a civil law jurisdiction, that would be by codification. So where he's going with the cases, it's hard to say. All mm -hmm. I know is, is that it's extremely expensive, you know, uh, and, and th there probably would be not that many lawyers. Maybe there would. That would take on a contingency basis. In some jurisdictions, they don't permit uh, contingency. So I think he's got a, a bit of an uphill battle. I think that uh, I do think it's something to test the the boundaries of mm -hmm. these things, and I, I applaud him for doing that. I, I don't discourage that. I, I think that uh, these uh, things need to be tested, and as a result, um, you know, good good law comes out of uh, sort of bad cases like this or these sort of injustices, you know. But like I said, it, unless I can kind of get into what the filings are mm. or to talk to him or his lawyer. It's difficult to know whether he'll succeed. But writing the first letter is, is just it's just the beginning. Right. And these things take certainly take time. The wheels of justice are, are certainly not swift. Right. Uh, Andy, uh, has uh, Jerry told you anything about this, uh, you know, litigation? Uh, he has, but he he also has told me he doesn't really want too many people um to know what he's planning to do, obviously, I'm not mm -hmm. sure if that's illegal, tactical, or whatever. So, I, I think I'd better not speak on behalf of um, sure. Jerry here. But I did want to add a couple of things because um, okay. Mario was talking before about um, you know someone's paying Aspie to do research. Um, I would argue this isn't even research because Aspie has never contacted, for example, me. Mm -hmm. um, they did a, a, a whole report, 63 pages, um, about so-called foreign influences in China. And not once did they contact me. I'd be more than happy to chat with them and answer their questions, you know. And I think if they talked with the targets or with their subjects, 
it's going to create a more uh, balanced and useful uh, piece of research. But that's obviously not what they're trying to do. Mm. They're writing something, like Mario said, that pushes um, a narrative. Then Edward touched on the idea um, of foreign influences, blah, blah, blah. Aspie, this is the funny thing. The whole report accuses us of being um, influences for a foreign government, for the Chinese government. But it's actually Aspie who are the foreign influences. Uh, a large chunk of their money comes from foreign governments um, and entities. In mm. fact, in Australia... Um, ASPE is listed under the Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme because their whole intention is to, their whole modus operandi is to take money from foreign governments and entities and try to influence the Australian government. So they're actually listed by law in Australia as foreign influencers. So this is just absolutely laughable. Another thing I wanted to add, because Mario touched on, sorry, I've taken all these notes. Mm. Mario touched on the idea that, you know, I work for Chinese state media, so I'm up for attack. And that is true. But um, a lot of people don't realize it's kind of like the chicken or the egg, which came first. I work for Chinese media because I believe in China. It's not the other way around. I don't believe in China because it's my job, if you know what I mean. So mm. I think that's important to point out. And it, it's... Something, if you, if you don't mind, okay. I, I mean, I've, I've actually lived in China a very long time um, since the 80s. And I mean, I've been on China media, you know, as, as a commentator of some stripe, similar to what Mario is talking about, mm. uh, for 25 years. Right. And, and during the all that time and every and all kinds, I mean, new media, China Daily, you name it. I mean, there's certainly the radio and television and everything in between. And, and I mean, local stations and, and everything else. But uh, and, and I mean, no one's ever said, you know, to me you know, over that period of time, you know, this is we're going to guide you into this direction or this is the way we want you to come up with your angle or your report. I mean, that so that's what I sort of I, I, I'm reading this sort of 63 page report. Mm. And um, I mean, it mentions, you know, there's people like Edgar Snow, the very, you know, who was in Yenon. I mean, he was writing his thing. I don't think that they were necessarily paying off Edgar Snow to write, you know, Red Star over China. I think that he genuinely believed, and that was his genuine in interpretation of that, which, I mean, there are two sides to that, and whether that was accurate or not is, is up for a historian to decide. But, I mean, I believe he, he meant what he meant, and that they were saying that in this particular report that the, he was being guided. You know, there was the, there was quite a group there. I mean, and it wasn't just him as a journalist. So I'm, I'm just trying to draw a parallel to to my own experiences, at least with China media, is that they're not, and, and it, it reiterates what Andy mm. is saying, what Mario says, um, that there isn't sort of a minder there with a ruler saying, you better, mm. you better answer this way or else, or we're going to cut the piece or we're going to do whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I've not experienced that personally. Maybe other people have. Mm. And certainly, um, you know, Aspie should should reach out to try to find some explanation with that. There is some mention with regards to one person who works for, for Shanghai Daily that has a, a sort of an editor that, that helps them out or has to go through an approval process. That, they, that was me. That was me. And that's, that was me. And that's actually not correct. Mm. <laughs> okay. So I, maybe, maybe I could talk about that really quickly because I really agree with Edward. Um, Chinese state media never in my experience has given me told me to say anything in fact it's quite the opposite mm. i'm the one who needs to coax shanghai daily into letting me do this more political content right. um so this is one of the things that aspie doesn't and will never understand if they never get in touch so my part of the report talks about um you know how i'm being molded and styled into um having an advers adversarial stance towards foreign media this is all my um 
my doing. It took me five years to convince my bosses at Shanghai Daily to let me do this because、mm-hmm. they love friendly, fluffy,、uh, happy stories.、Um, so it's absolutely、um, incorrect.、Uh, and the last part、uh, that Edward just mentioned as well. Which said that I have an editor who I need to put content through, and、uh, blah blah blah. That's my colleague Wang Haoling, and they talk about her as my studio manager. She's she's a colleague on the same level as me. We both make decisions together, and the only time I ever turn to her for advice is is when I want to understand more about、um, a Chinese aspect, a cultural aspect. Of something I'm working on because she's Chinese, so of course、mm-hmm. I'm going to turn to,、um, you know, Chinese who know who understand China much better than I ever will. So that's another thing that was actually inaccurate、uh, in the my section of the report. And I've told Aspie that, but they、uh, refuse to change anything. So it just stays how it is.、Mm. Actually, I think、um, Aspie they should、um, consult you guys first before coming up with this report instead of,、uh, you know, referring、yes. to some guy who's never been to China before. But in, <laughs> exactly in, in their report. Um, this is actually from the FT report.、Uh, it said scores of videos posted by、uh, foreign influencers reveal a consistent pattern: almost any Chinese food, culture, society, infrastructure, government policies is held up for praise. Sharp criticism is reserved for the Western media, Western society, and even some Western products. So,、uh, Andy, yeah, from your experience. How accurate is this statement? You know the videos posted by by you or other、um, online influencers. Well, to tell you the truth, I haven't seen many of the videos from the other people mentioned、uh, in the report. But for me,、um, I actually explicitly refuse to post negative stories about China in、mm-hmm. any way, and I've talked about that openly from the beginning. Because if you want to read、um, negative stories about China. In the English media, you can open any newspaper in India, in New Zealand, in Australia, in the U.S., in Canada, in the U.K., and find as many stories to fulfil your desires as、Indeed. you want that show China in a negative light. So,、um, I see it. I zoom out a bit. So people see my content. Some、uh, of my detractors will say it's biased or unbalanced. But I actually don't work,、uh, view my work in and of itself. I zoom out、um, to view the entire English,、um, Chinese language.、Oh, sorry, China English language media.、Um, From a zoomed-out perspective, and I see posting stories、uh, and videos、mm. that aren't negative as kind of bringing balance back to the entire environment. So I think it's it's unfair to、uh, look so closely and say any one person is being biased. But of course, there are people who criticise、uh, China. You can look on Weibo any time, any day of the week,、mm. and you'll see multiple people criticising government policy、um, and everything like that. So I think people who say that, for one, they don't understand China at all, and they've never heard of Chinese social media. I think.、Mm. Andy, you said、uh, Aspie is is actually、um, the one producing fake and misleading propaganda at the uh, behest of uh, uh, their foreign backers. I think it, I quoted this from、uh, Global Times. You did an interview with them, right? Ah,、uh, yeah. And、mm. Then and、uh, Cole also talked about the U.S. government funding Aspie. So, I'm wondering what made you so sure Aspie got this foreign backers and and the, the U.S. government is behind it. Well, it's like what Edward said before. It's all public knowledge、um, on their website under all their reports. They have to list all of their funders. And the problem is, when Western media、uh, do stories about these ASB reports, they're never open and they never talk about the blatant fact that ASB is funded by the weapons industry in the U.S., by foreign governments, the U.S. government, Japanese government,、um, the Taiwanese. Whatever you want to call it, government in exile or whatever,、um, they are the ones who are foreign influences and who are trying to affect a government. I'm not trying to affect a government in any way, 
So that's why I have to laugh at, at these ASPE reports now, because it's just so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But the annoying thing is, whenever reporters contacted me to talk about the ASPE report, I always mentioned uh, that they're funded by foreign governments, by the weapons industry, and it never made it into any of the articles. So mm-hmm. I think it's a concerted effort, um, and it goes deep. It's it's quite sinister, I think. Yeah, I just I just want to echo on, on that. Uh, it's almost like this mad magazine, you know, spy versus spy. I mean... They're they're accusing that what's being done by China is exactly what they're doing precisely, and it it becomes um, almost comical as as to what is as, as to the outcome. The other thing I think, and just to reiterate, over being and dealing with China media for many de- a couple decades plus now, is that you know before it used to be you get in an airplane and um, you know somebody sitting next to you be like, hey, what are you doing? be like, well, I'm a lawyer working in China. Mm. And all you know, they would all perk up and their ears would be up and they'd be like, wow, that's interesting. Tell me what's what, you know, what's going on over there. Mm. And then now, I mean, since, uh, again, the decisive uh, change has been sort of this post-COVID world where it's just sort of turned completely around, you know, whether you're on China media or you're not or whatever, but mentioning China is you're looked at cross-eyed whether they know you or they don't know you. So, I mean, it's it's a difficult situation, I think, right now for China to be in. And it's it's very important that people, that many of these voices are not, you know, belittled or, you know, or trivialized by ASPE and other types of places because, you know, it's part of the very fabric of the country. I mean, meaning that China is a big place. I mean, a huge place with a lot of things going on. And for somebody to have their, you know, the truth about and say that they have the truth about it, whether they you know live in China. It's like the three blind men assessing what an elephant looks like. I mean, they all, you know, say three different things, and they're all kind of right and they're all wrong. It's the same with uh, with China experts and different people looking at different things. So, you know, I think it's important that in in these times, especially like Warren Buffett said, you know, when the tide is out, you can see who's naked. And so, what we've got now is certainly the tide is out with regards to the opinion on, you know, on, on where China stands sometimes, and, and it's, you know, likability scale, if you will. And so now people who try to explain things are being, you know, accused of, of malfeasance or, or, or being inappropriate. And so I'm not necessarily sure that that's fair, frankly. Mm-hmm. And that's why Jerry Cowell is, is seeking uh, legal redress to do that, you know, to, uh, about that. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Obviously, there there are uh, people saying bad things about China or accusing the the authorities of any um, wrongdoings. But, uh, Ed, do do you think it's like when it comes to a a systematic um, behavior where you you have to provide some uh, um, concrete evidence, right? I know the, uh, the U.S. government... Last year, I think in March, authorized some uh, the appropriation of uh, over 300 million uh, U.S. dollars each year over the period of uh, 2023 to 2027 to to counter China's influence globally. But h- how do we know it's spent on those um, think tankers or the media or trying to to train journalists to deliberately come up with? Um, negative reports about China. Yeah, I mean, China has, it's an interesting thing, because I mean, I don't know if anyone remembers, but recently it, it, there was an, you know, there was a repeal, an 80th anniversary of the repeal of the anti-Chinese um, 
Exclusion Act in the United States. And so in 1885, Chester A. Arthur, a president nobody knows anything about, barely signed into law, you know, excluding Chinese from naturalizing in the United States. I mean, not only did Chester A. Arthur in the United States do it, but Canada went ahead and did that. So did Australia. So did South Africa. We did too. Um, <laughs> yeah, New Zealand. There you go. Okay. So, I mean, it's, I, and therein lies the rub. So, what, you know, historically speaking, we're talking about, and Mr. Biden talked about repealing it 80 years ago. Ironically, it was re- repealed. Uh, the, the nomination for the repeal was done by Claire Booth Luce, of all people. And uh, her husband uh, founded Time Magazine. And then uh, his parents had founded uh, what is now Beijing University. She was a Republican, ironically. <laughs> so we're announcing and flouting that all this kind of inclusiveness. At the same time, we've got uh, the China Initiative, which was initiated by the FBI, to specifically, uh, which which was you know pro- racial profiling Chinese specifically. Now remember that the only nation the United States has ever prohibited from allowing to naturalize into the United States is China, period. No, nobody else, not 151st nations, not some third world country from somewhere, but no, it's, it's China. And most of the Chinese, and, and to their credit, don't even know, know this existed. Mm-hmm. So when I would bring it up, because you have to take it when you're in, going through law school and immigration, this anomaly comes up and I'm like, hey, you guys are oppressed. Did you know that from 1885 to 1943? They're like, what? You know, so it's it's not part part of the the code, but at, at the same at the same time, uh, it's with this FBI uh, China initiative that was targeting espionage and threat, economic threats, and whatever you know by the FBI, which then they had to disallow as being racially profiling, and now we've got you know this this has come by on this particular law. I did look this up, by the way. I mean, it is earmarked for that, and just so you know. It hasn't. It's been introduced in Congress in 2021. Uh, it, it is still in the introductory phase in 2024. That HR bill, and it's not yet, you know, passed the House and it's not yet passed the Senate mm-hmm. and it's not yet been signed into law. But the sentiment is still there. that <laughs> It's been kicking around since 2021, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the, to to try to counter and malign, you know, what the CCP is doing. That's specifically what it says. Mm. And um, actually, it's highly likely this won't be the you know last time for international. It's not the first time. Won't be the last time for international online influencers to be wrongly or unfairly accused by Western think tanks or media outlets. And um, it's likely to last for a long time, as we mentioned. Then, um, Ed, encountering such ill-intentioned plans. I know um, the other two, like um, Andy or Mario, would be if you will, victims of such plans. So what would be your suggestion for them? Yeah, I mean, the, the issue is, do you have the intest- does one have the intestinal fortitude to go through the system? Go- getting involved in, the, in a litigation or a court system in, in any jurisdiction you know, is, is gut-wrenching, it's lonely. It, and uh, unfortunately, as is, is Winston Churchill said, I mean, a lie gets halfway around the world mm. before uh, the truth gets a chance to pull its britches up or whatever. So it's a very difficult place to be. And these these are not, justice is not swift, certainly. So one has to think long and hard whether to, to take a look at it. You know, just anecdotally, I mean, I had a I had a constitutional law professor, um, his name was George Anastopolo, and he was admitted around the same time, or was not admitted, he had finished law school at the same time my father did. Um, and he was at, on the application, like when I applied to be admitted in the state of Illinois, uh, there was a question, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? 
And this was at the height of uh, McCarthyism, and he refused mm-hmm. to answer that question. Mr. Anastopoulos had not been, nor had he ever been to a Communist Party meeting, but he refused to answer those words and uh, was not admitted into the uh, state of uh, Illinois' bar. And the case went all the way up to the to the Supreme Court, and they said, hey, they have the right to say, to ask you that question, and he has to answer the question, and he didn't do it, so he's not character fitness to do it. You know, and then he was eventually my professor at law school. He didn't practice law, but, you know, he had the intestinal fortitude to do that. Does everyone have that intestinal fortitude? I don't think so. I mean, everybody has to make that decision for themselves, uh, whether to go forward and, and fight it or, you know, to sort of die <laughs> a little death and, and, and just, you know, push on and carry on with your life. But that's for Jerry Caldwell to do. But I do think that, you know, he's, it's worthy of, of a cause. And there's, you know, there are plenty of pro bono legal clinics that are, you know, defending people's right to say what they want to say. And certainly the ACLU exists. So maybe that'll that'll be an option for them. Mm. And Mario, your thoughts here? Um, I was thinking earlier uh, about what Andy was sharing, uh, mm. Jerry's story. Yeah. I must say it was quite a surprise and I was impressed, though I agree with that. It's, I don't believe it's going to get anywhere, but I thought it was quite innovative and interesting mm. that Jerry thought to write that letter back to, let's just say, back to Washington, saying to them, hey, what's going on? I'm an American expat living overseas. You have consulates, United States consulates overseas, whose job is to look after and protect the interests and needs of its citizens who are living overseas. That's a primary function of U.S. consulates, in fact. And what are you guys doing funding organizations that are saying all of this false stuff that's putting... A target on me. And he, he took the time to send that letter out to them. I was really impressed by that. I hadn't thought to do that. Now, I did have a conversation with some U.S. consulate officials a couple of years ago. I won't say any further than that, but I did along the same lines where I said, you know, this ramped up rhetoric about China, all of it's false. It's propaganda. It's hateful. It's repetitive. You know, I'm an American living overseas with a Chinese family here in China, and I'm defending China. You people aren't doing me any favors. You're putting a target on my back, you know. And the answer was the same thing as the police say back in America, which is, well, unless somebody already did something specifically to threaten you, there's nothing we can do, mm. you know. But it really is an interesting dilemma. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to deny that with time here, I'm becoming increasingly uncomfortable as an American mm. who doesn't defend China but simply says, whoa, 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 excuse me. You are being told this crazy, hateful thing about China that's not true. I live here for 20 years. I have a Chinese family. Let me explain to you that this is there's no basis for this. To me, that's not defending China. That's just defending straight up truth and integrity and normal human experience in life, regardless of what country that you live in. But this combination of being an American and being in China now really... Uh, is making me increasingly uncomfortable. Part of that, as Ed understands, because I was in Shanghai for 13 years. Ed, you're still in Shanghai. I think you've been there many, many years. I've always been a member of the American Chamber of Commerce, and I still am. And the same thing applies, because we're all here as foreigners, as expats from America, in China, having invested enormous amounts of money and energy and time and consideration and caring into living here with our families here. Um, And so to put all of these people 
you know, the American Chamber folks, they never get involved in politics. They don't want anything to do with politics. They just want normal, healthy relations. So what Washington is doing, what these truly ugly politicians like Marco Rubio and presidential candidate Nikki Haley, by deciding to position United States foreign policy as, oh, and Tom Scott in Florida and many others, their position, their foreign policy position Headline position, their top line position is, China is our enemy and evil, and we need to stop them. That is the headline of U.S. foreign policy coming from these people. This is uh, very, very disturbing. Yet, we have to say, Ed being in legal knows, and I, I know myself from some experiences, to try and win that argument through the court system Nah, it's it's really not worth pursuing. The likelihood is that um, mm. you it, don't have the intestinal fortitude nor the resources to do it. Yes, if if such um, reaction, like uh, filing lawsuits, um, like what um, Jerry Qual did, like you just mentioned, would end up going nowhere. Andy, does it mean the the unfairly accused could barely do nothing other than sitting there and being stigmatized? Well, I think what's important, uh, what Ed said, hardly anyone has the fortitude or the money to engage in litigation. In fact, I had a little instance last year where I tried to engage with a lawyer um, in a defamation case, and it was tough. We didn't get to litigation even. Um, So, But what I do hope is that these young content creators who are sharing their experiences in China, I hope they have the fortitude to keep going and just keep telling the truth, good and bad, about China. And and I really hope they won't be put off from uh, sharing their stories and their lives here by people like Aspie. Um, that's that's what I hope. Given, you know, the U.S. government is involved in this, you know, they're using the force of government. Is it wise or is it viable? You know, maybe we bring this to the government level to introduce some measures. Ed, could you come up with any suggestions to, you know, maybe the authorities here? The Chinese government can certainly do some things. I mean, I think that there's this, as, as an expat and, and, and all of us, I mean, living away from our countries, I mean, sometimes you have to wonder yourself, are you, uh, you know, do, does the, uh, does the diplomatic missions or the government's presence here, you know, is, is it a, a help for us or is it, is it, uh, are we just in the way? Oh. Uh, I mean, is as expats living here. So, they, I mean, and a lot of times when you go over to American Citizen Services and you have to get an appointment to do so, and then you've got to speak to the bulletproof, through the bulletproof glass, and then, you know, ask people for, for different things. Um, it's not the most personalized thing, shall we say. So, mm. yeah, I mean, maybe it's because the size of our country. It's hard to say. But uh, the issue, is, yeah, no, I do. A lot of times they'll come back, American Citizen Services, and I'll say, well, listen, you're, we're in China subject to Chinese laws, policies, and regulations, go out and uh, get yourself, um, you know, lit- you know, some kind of professional advice from, um, you know, what's going on with your with your situation. Mm. So I do think that China could afford, you know, could could protect in some way, shape, or form folk who are, you know, being harmed and, and therefore penalizing, you know, people who put out reports like this. And you've seen that. I mean, there have been indictments by the United States on, uh, you know, certain officials and, and, and vice versa, where you've seen, you know, the Chinese government uh, targeting and saying, well, these people are not welcome or that there's some kind of um, liability if they were to enter the country type of thing. I mean, there's exit bans that, um, you know, there's 15 different ways in which someone can get 
an exit ban in China, you know, someone that would be affiliated with these companies or someone that would be affiliated with funding ASPE could be part of that exit ban, you know, mm. if, they, if they would have come in. So there, there, I think there's different, I'm, I'm not suggesting this necessarily, but I think that there would be creative alternatives for the Chinese government that they could enforce, you know, on behalf of, of people who are exercising their opinions and freedom of speech uh, on a platform, you know, about China. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I think that that can be done for sure. And, you know, I, I do think that, like I said, the, the question comes this, do we get into the Streisand effect when we try to bring attention to these things? Or do we, import, like Andy was suggesting, do we, how do we encourage young people? How do we encourage people to speak out and say that, you know, their opinions and their truth and not be fearful to do so? And what the harm is not necessarily on folks like, like us that are on the call right now, but are, are newcomers and whether that's going to push people away. When you look at the numbers, which is shocking, you know, the, the number of Americans that are, according to Anthony Blinken's mm. statement when he visited, there's 250, I think, American students studying in, the, in China. I mean, that's quite a low number. Right. And, um, you know, there's quite a lot more going in the other direction, for sure, of Chinese studying abroad in different places. So that number needs to get increased and, and it needs to there needs to be this exchange of young people and new thoughts that are positive mm -hmm. amongst one-on-one uh, -on -one, as well as the social media. Right. What you just said made me think of uh, the new policy introduced by the uh, government, the visa-free travel policy um, introduced for citizens from uh, five European countries, I think including Germany, France. Yeah, Germany, France, Italy, yeah. Spain, right. uh, the Netherlands and Malaysia. Yeah. And the more the average uh, citizens from those countries are coming to China to, to visit more freely, the more they will, you know, know the truth or what is really going on here in China. And um, this may help, you know, counter the, the untrue um, narratives about China. You know, yeah, I think the, the interesting thing is during the COVID uh, situation, China's borders were pretty much locked down for three years. So yeah. I think Western media and people like Aspi um, had a free reign to really spread all they wanted to about China and people couldn't come and find out the truth for themselves. So now, mm. like you said, China is int introducing so many uh, new policies to encourage travel here. If you're from any of those five European countries or Malaysia, you can come here without any visa whatsoever. Just jump on a plane and come here. Mm. Um, so I really urge people all over the world, um, if you're getting your information about uh, China from the Western media and you think maybe there's something not right, just come here. Mm. Come here and see for yourself. I think it's the, it's the best way to move forward. And if you can't come here, try to um, find information not from people who are in China. Yeah, but I think it's becoming much more open and I'm, I'm really excited. Mm. Maybe the next step is to introduce visa-free travel policy to American citizens. With that, we've come to the end of today's chat. Thanks to Andy Borum, New Zealand-born journalist based in China, Mario Cavolo, founder and CEO of M Communications Group, and Edward Lehman, founder and managing director of China-based law firm Lehman Lee & Chi, for sharing your time, experiences, and insights with us. The show is available on all major podcast platforms. If you have anything to say about the topic or the show, please email radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for being with us. We'll chat again next week.
Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 